You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Leandre Fox. And I'm Jamie Doolittle. This week, we debut a periodic feature with Dr. Atta Sarajadini, Dean of the FAU College of Science. Ask a Scientist uses the methods of science to help us better understand stories making South Florida headlines. In this first edition, Dean Sarajadini focuses on sea level rise. Recent federal estimates have suggested sea level rise could be as much as eight feet by the end of the century. But last month, a report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change indicated these changes could be occurring at an elevated pace and with greater severity. This week, Dr. Sarajadini sat down with Dr. Colin Polsky, the director of the Florida Center for Environmental Studies at FAU. Dr. Polsky is well-versed on the issue of sea level rise and what it could mean for South Florida. But Dean Sarajadini prefaced his interview with a brief explanation of the way the methods of science will inform each edition of Ask a Scientist. It's a tool, and to better understand just simply means that we will never fully understand the natural world, and so science helps us to improve our understanding of it. And by natural world, what do we mean by that? What is the natural world? Well, that's opposed to what some people refer to as the supernatural world, where events tend to be non-repeatable. Now, how does science work? How does it operate? How is it a tool? Well, the foundational assumption of it is that the laws of nature are independent of space and time. And what that means is that the laws of nature are the same here on the Earth as they are at the sun or any part of the, of the galaxy. It also means that the laws of nature are the same today as they were in the past and well in the past. And so we can count on that assumption to be true in space and time. Now, once we make that assumption, then we can move forward with the method itself. And what is that? Well, it starts with taking an observation, getting data, and trying to understand the data using an explanation. Another word for an explanation is a model or a theory. Every good model or theory makes a prediction. And then we can test the prediction using the observations or the data that we gather uh, from that. And that's important because if the prediction is correct, then the model is probably correct. And what this underscores is one of the powers of science, which is that it's self-correcting. If there's an error or a prediction isn't correct, we change the model until it is. And so over time, it's a self-correcting process. Also, it can be used to study systems or objects that are way too small for us to even see, or those that are much larger than we can actually conceive. Now, one example of this would be the environment, the climate. And I have Colin Polsky with me today to help us understand how the scientific method is applied to the concept of sea level rise. Colin? Thank you for having me. So Colin, how exactly does the scientific method then get applied to the concept of sea level rise? Well, we begin this story with rising temperatures. And theory that's linked with rising temperatures is you would expect substances to expand and ice to melt. It's quite uh, straightforward. We've all learned that from grade school. So if you expect ice to melt, for example, then the question is, well, let's go measure the ocean levels and see if the ocean levels are rising. Another implication of that theory is, well, since the amount of water we have in our Earth atmosphere system is constant, if you see X amount decrease of ice, then you should see the same amount change increased elsewhere in the Earth atmosphere system. One of the places where we see water, of course, is in the oceans. So we have rising temperatures that suggest we should have declining ice, 
which suggests we should have rising oceans. And we go and we measure all those things. When we have these predictions, what do they tell us about the future of sea level rise with respect to its impact on, on us? Well, no one, even scientists, has a crystal ball, so no one knows the future perfectly. But we have observed a consistent and significant and even likely accelerating increase in uh, ocean levels in the last few decades. And we know that with great precision using uh, super high-tech satellites and other instruments for the whole planet. That suggests that there's no reason to believe that trend will reverse. And the initiating uh, domino that has set all this in motion is uh, rising temperatures. We see that continuing to rise as well. No reason to expect that to change. So the future, to answer your question, looks like one of continued increases in sea levels. And that doesn't matter so much, per se, if you live in Colorado, right? But for those of us here who live near the ocean and at very low elevation and with no gradient, it's, it's actually lower to the west of where we're sitting here than it is closer to the ocean. It's a big concern. So I'd like to hear about the actual numbers in terms of the rate of of the levels increasing. I'd like to know what the numbers actually are and how do those compare with what we predicted? One of the reasons I like the question is it allows us to talk about what is an average, a philosophical question. An average is just the best number representing a, a certain data set. And so the global average is 3.2 millimeters per year in recent years uh, for the planet. Does that mean that if you go sample any spot of any ocean anywhere that today that you'll see an annual increase of 3.2 millimeters per year? And the answer is no. Why? Because 3.2 is global average. So uh, there are some places that experiencing currently a higher rate and a few places that are lower or even experiencing sea level declines. But I can show you the maps and what we see far and away across the planet are A, increases, and B, around 3.2 millimeters per year. And I'm sure our listeners are interested in knowing just how we can reduce the effects or mitigate the effects of sea level rise in, in this part of the country. If we want to try and reduce the negative effects of sea level rise, we want to think long-term and we want to think short-term. Long-term, we want to, as a planet, a global society, reduce our carbon-based emissions. For example, the burning of coal, oil, and natural gas. There are other things we can do, but basically that's the uh, main name of the game there. Short-term and local, we have a host of engineering and construction options available to us to make our streets drier and our houses less prone to flooding. For example, we can install what we call one-way storm valves that are kind of simple, low-tech, rigid plastic devices you put in storm drains to allow the water to escape from the street but not return back from below surface, which, oddly enough, is something that happens here. The ocean comes up through our storm systems into the streets in the fall. Okay, so that's kind of low-hanging fruit, not so expensive. We could also do things like reinstall and retrofit our stormwater systems to be more saltwater tolerant so that those uh, pipes can continue to take the stormwater away to the ocean, away from our streets. So those are a couple of the things that are being considered, and each of those types of approaches has different costs and different benefits. 
Now, Colin, within the concept of what I was talking about earlier of the scientific method, and I mentioned that the data begins to allow us to better explain what we see, and then the explanation makes a prediction. I'd like to know more about how future observations and more data can help us to improve our our model of sea level rise and therefore improve the predictions. At what point do we know enough in order to make informed decisions? And that is a question for democracy to answer in a kind of informed back and forth conversation, which is another way of saying we're never going to know everything about this system. There's always going to be uncertainty. There's always going to be error. There's always going to be some part of this sea level rise, for example, phenomenon that we just don't understand. But in recent decades, we have made such tremendous advances in being able to measure and locate water underground, in the ice, in the oceans, deep in the oceans, as well as at the surface, that we now, I think, can plausibly say we know what's going on. Now, as a scientist, I'm always interested in trying to further what we don't know. And so what we don't know in this case includes trying to better understand the rate of ice loss in the Greenland and Antarctic ice sheets, for example. But if the question is, do we know enough to be able to say we need to start thoughtfully talking about solutions to plan in a risk management type approach, then the answer in my view is, We already know enough. Thank you very much, Colin. And I think the point bears repeating that even though the observations are improving and the data and models are getting better on sea level rise, at this point, we know enough to make some solid decisions with respect to how to address the problem currently and in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Colin Polsky is director of our Center for Environmental Studies at Florida Atlantic University in the Schmidt College of Science.